Hey there, I have two things to say before the episode. First off, if you like these episodes, if you like this show, consider going to patreon.com slash duckfeedtv and helping to support this show and the network. Additionally, since we are wrapping up Song of Susanna, um, we're going to have another off-season here. Uh, we're going to be talking about The Talisman and Black House. These are uh, Stephen King and Peter Straub uh, you know, uh, collabs that they've done that touch on the dark tower in some ways. Uh, so take a look at that. And then season seven, um, there are lots of books that tie in with, uh, <laughs> with the old final dark tower book. Uh, we're going to be talking about those in the middle of things. So, um, if you're going to get stuff queued up, I would recommend uh, getting Everything's Eventual and Hearts in Atlantis uh, because those characters are going to factor in. Otherwise, though, we are continuing continuing apace. Thank you so much for your listenership and all of your nice comments. Here we go. Welcome to Radio Free Midworld, a podcast about the Dark Tower series of books by Stephen King. My name is Cole Ross, and today I am joined once more by Autumn Greer. Hi, Autumn. Hi, Cole. How are you today? I'm doing just fine. Thank you so much for uh, for, for for sticking with me on this book. I really enjoy having you here. I am, uh, as always, delighted to be here. I, um, you know, we're we're moving into the end of the book right here, and I guess I got to ask. Is this book really good? I'm going back and forth a lot, actually, because I've always had a I've always had a thing or a more positive relationship with the meta angle of the story, you know, which I think is what turns a lot of folks off. Yeah. So my, 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 my praise for the book generally, while still having problems with it structurally, my praise for for the stuff that happens specifically in this in, in in this section always has to be a little bit muted because it is just kind of taken as read by fans at large that that is the capital B capital S bad stuff. Yeah. So I, I mean, so you 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 ask that as a question. Do 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 you say that because you know the answer and it's yes, or are you still trying to figure it out? I I kind of feel like there's this like like there's this critical moment as there's this tipping point when you reread Stephen King Mm -hmm. where like the first time you read a book, you're like, okay, yeah, that was fine. Like, I don't know when I read the Tommy knockers, I'm like, man, that was a bummer about the dog. And then I read it again (laughs) a couple more times. And then, um, I don't know now, like I look over on the shelf sometimes and like, I I just want to get my Tommy knocked. Yeah. You know, I mean, and that that, like, that happened with him too, with the Tommy Knockers, and with a bunch of his books, where he <laughs> went back and said, "Oh, this is about addiction." Shit, <laughs> like, oh yeah, Tommy <laughs> Knockers, yeah, totally about cocaine. So, yeah. but I I think that this might be my read through on the book because I think I've read it two, maybe three times before. I mm-hmm. think this is the moment where it starts to feel like an old friend, and I'm having the time of my life all of a sudden. Gotcha. Yeah. No, I want to hear the details as we go as we go through and uh, and wrap things up because yeah. I'm I'm just a I'm a real sucker for stories about creative process. And I know that gets into uh books about writing and movies about being a filmmaker. 
Charlie Kaufman style, but um, I don't care. I, I kind of just, I, I think that I just need to let somebody needs to let me have it. Yeah. <laughs> just let me yeah. have this, please. Just, yeah. just like me right now with Arctic um, circle horror stories with um, oh, his yeah. majesty's Navy characters oh. in it. Yep. It's yeah. my deal. <laughs> is, is that the, uh, the, the, the broader work of the terror or. Oh yeah. 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 I got, I got terror, terror fever. I'm reading every book and get my hands on where um, somebody dies in the Arctic tragically or scarily. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I still have that on my, uh, I still have that, that, that tab open somewhere on my computer from two weeks ago when we recorded this, um, before we get started really quick here, you and Jeremy started a new, uh, a new podcast. Um, that is, that is absolutely correct. It's, um, it's a, another, I guess, literary podcast. Um, if you call it that, um, dead blood club, we're reading through, um, kind of a book club version of uh, interview with the vampire books, the the Anne Rice Vampire Chronicles. Yeah, um, I I'm gonna, gonna gonna be honest here. I have not uh, listened to it just yet, uh, but the album I, uh, the the art for it is amazing. <laughs> yeah, we're 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 pretty excited about it. <laughs> it's very good. Um, yeah, so I just I, I hope I hope you're not uncomfortable with me putting you on the spot for that, but I wanted to give you a chance to to, to highlight it at the opening here. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you very much. You actually just made my day. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I would feel better if I had listened to it and had something more substantial to say. Hey, it's, 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 it's just as nice to meet a future fan. Yeah. Um, dead blood club. <laughs> There's some vampires in this. Uh, let's, let, let, let's get going. Um, so previously, man, a bunch of stuff happened. We checked in on mostly, uh, uh Roland and Eddie, in Maine, as they uh, gave Calvin Tower a what for. And we also heard a little bit more detail from Mia as she was piloting Susanna's body around New York in 1999. Uh, this final section, stanzas 11 through 13, and then the end, we're going to touch in on all the major kind of uh, uh, groupings of the quartet um, as we go. And we're going to begin with the 11th stanza, The Writer. Because Eddie and Roland uh, loaded up in their Ford Galaxy and headed over from Bridgeton to Lovell, um, in or, or sorry, Eastonham to Lovell, um, to go to Turtleback Lane and meet Stephen King, uh, the man who wrote the book that uh, they're they're all in. This is um, this is a weird conversation that they're they're having. Yeah. <laughs> Um, Roland, <laughs> Roland is really vulnerable at this point. Yeah. I mean, like they, at one point, I think, um, Eddie says, man, I'm so scared. And he and Roland hold hands. Mm -hmm. Like it's, um, it's, it's an impactful little scene. Yeah. And Roland's for as much as he, he is single minded about the tower. He never really speaks about it. He speaks about Gilead and he speaks about, the things that are kind of tethered to it, but he never, we never get a, a peek inside his head at what he envisions happening when he gets there. And as they are approaching what feels like a twin of the rose, a twin of the tower, and they hear the song, like Roland straight up just confesses that like, I'm terrified that if I get to the top of the tower, all I'm going to find there is just, an, is just another bum hug. You know, we're just going to like, like, like <sighs> whoever is there is just going to be senile and doddering and, you know, useless and ineffectual and there will be no answer. Yeah, this, 
this is a this is a heavy section. Like there's even I don't know, there's a that line in there like the quest itself has become the point for me and the end is frightening. Like we're mm-hmm. all feeling that way, bro. Yeah. <laughs> and, and even Stephen King is as we're as we're yeah. going to find out here um, and kind of independently from each other. All of these groups realize that even though they are, you know, here on Keystone Earth, they are not in end world. Um, you know, the <laughs> even though they're here, they are close to the end. They are closer to the tower than they've ever been because they are still along the beam. They are still being drawn, drawn upon it and still serving it. uh so let's go meet our maker uh because they roll up stephen king thinks oh this is uh this is tabitha just coming by uh coming home a little bit early uh no um instead he looks into the eyes of a fictitious person that he created seven years ago and he decides to run into the middle of a lake Did you um did you find that when Stephen King was writing himself as we're going through these scenes that he sounded a little bit like Tom Cullen from The Stand? A a a, a little bit, specifically when he starts getting hypnotized and he and he regresses. Yeah, um, you know, uh, for for as much as he in the and you know an uncharitable summary of what's happening here is that Stephen King has written himself as a god in his work. Um, for as much as that may on the surface be the case, he is also writing himself as an incredibly pitiable um, and diminished figure. Yeah, it's like grown up Opie from the Andy Griffith show. And it, instead of it being Ron Howard, it's real Opie, but he has problems. <laughs> yes, uh, it's it's an even Opie or Opie, um, <laughs> you know, and, you know, once they take him in and get him, you know, <laughs> <laughs> once he comes to once once he becomes unfainted and they and they change him into some into some wet clothes uh th- th- there's a kind of gormless wonder with which he regards you know Roland's presence specifically he doesn't recognize that because he hasn't written Eddie yet this is 19, 1977 it's 9 years before before that takes place you know um, but yeah. he, he, he is very credulous. And at one point at a couple of times he says, Oh, this is like a thing from one of my stories, you know, in mm-hmm. like, a, as a kind of triple double meta joke, well, you know, uh, about people who say, Oh, this is like something from a Stephen King story. Now he is saying it about himself. <laughs> and also it is f- f- literally <laughs> and figuratively true at the same time. Yeah. yeah. So and he does he does though it just reminds me like he's at any moment like after he says laws yes he's gonna say m o o n that mm-hmm. spells author insertion like you know <laughs> I think it was maybe while Stephen King was passed out they're talking about their their basic I, I guess their plan to form a super pack and control the world yeah it's it's kind of in the lead up to this because you know Eddie in talking to uh, specifically Deep Nogs Tower. You know, you're, you're not going to give Tower any any useful information. He's not going to do anything with it. He talks about, oh, you know, make sure you invest in Microsoft, et cetera, et cetera. Um, part of this design, part of why getting a hold of the Rose was so important and setting up the tech corporation was so important is there needs to be, you know, in the future and throughout the worlds across all the levels, there needs to be a foil for the Sombra Corporation for North Central Positronics and Tech Corporation, you know, with this 22 year lead up is going to become that, 
you know, in book seven, we eventually see that like, yeah, pretty much our entire goal is a, to protect the Rose, but also to outmaneuver Sombra wherever we can. Something about this just terrifies me. Like I've never seen a corporation that was wholly benevolent and good. Yeah. Well, they're headed by Moses Carver. Who's really into the God bomb stuff. (laughs) (laughs) I have have trouble with that theology. (laughs) (laughs) Just a, just a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, So what do you think of just kind of this this feeling out that Eddie specifically does with with, with King to kind of confirm a truth that he's known that he is fictitious? They're they're definitely not probably the questions I would have picked. I probably would have, you know, after I just held hands with Roland and talked about the universe, I probably would have gotten (laughs) a little more metaphysical. But um, he just starts asking him like little details, like he asked him where Co-op City is and... Oh, gosh, I don't even remember what I highlighted. It, but I don't even remember what um, Stephen King said. Or Stephen of Bridgeton, as they call him several times. <laughs> yep. um, I love that they're in Bridgeton because that is the uh, that is the town where the mist takes place. And I just have a very really? I have a very soft, uh, very soft spot for the mist. Uh, in fact, they, they, they even talk about how like the, the, the grocery, the grocery store and the pharmacy are uh, just uh, unusually spacious. <laughs> At one point, because they could, because yeah. they, they, they stop over there. It's kind of a blink and you'll miss it kind of thing. But yeah, to- totally. Bridgeton is the mist, the mist town. So they're like, they're just, How about that? just across the lake uh, from the, uh, what, Project Arrowhead, I think is what it is, that causes the tear. See, you're at your house trying to get misted and I'm over here trying to get my Tommy knocked. Yeah. <laughs> I, need yeah. To, I need to watch that movie again. I, I need to get the... Uh, <laughs> I need to watch the black and white version of it. That's on the Blu-ray. Yeah. Ooh, you, you got a weekend plan. <laughs> yeah. It's a good movie. Um, <laughs> but yeah, just, you know, Eddie's trying to fill this out. Uh, and <laughs> basically King is, you know, instead of talking about the substance, he's more bringing up little trivia about the story and, you know, just talking about the structure more than anything saying like, Oh, here's the, here's the interesting thing about this book. You know, it's a flashback within a flashback within a flashback. It's, it's nested and it goes backward, which is of interest to some, but it is particularly of extremely little interest to somebody who lived it forward. Yeah. <laughs> what do they, what do they call it in medias res? Like, like the odyssey. This yes. is epic. Yeah. <laughs> but just kind of like all right yeah this is this is all a bunch of a bunch of esoterica but i i lived it i i i know um and then Kay makes a staggering realization that exposes a broader conspiracy at one point he did a bunch of mescaline dot 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 uh, <laughs> um and he didn't fuck an oracle um instead what he did was he outlined the entire series and then proceeded to lose it off of the back of his motorcycle. Damn, that's a metaphor on its own. Yeah. Um, in reality, that was probably stolen. <laughs> because <laughs> the forces of the Red, the forces of the Crimson King, are very interested in making sure that this story is not written. Well, at least we didn't see Stephen King see any um, our like walk around seeing lost pet signs about himself. True. Yeah. They had to be a little, a little bit more, a little bit more subtle 
uh, yeah. in, 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 the, in the versions of Callahan's America, those highways in hiding, that was just thin enough where vampires could go around and do their thing, you know? Yeah. Stephen King sees the sign, right? Like, <laughs> have you seen our dog, Stephen? He's a rascal, but we love him so. Yeah. Incredibly prolific dog. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, but yeah, you know, they are, you know, talking about this and King just stopped writing because it got hard. Um, and as he's talking about this, you know, he is drinking and, um, I had forgotten that the death bag shows up here. I absolutely had too. Yeah. I mean, that's insomnia all the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, for, you know, so usually before something like this pops up, I, I like to, I like to at least feature that book on the show so we can, so we can say what this is because the, the, the death bag and these, and these auras that are visible to the sensitive are very, you know, they're, they're key. They're everything in, in, in insomnia that's going to figure in later, both in this story. And then also on the, on the show, we'll have an episode about it. But the idea being somebody who is marked for death, somebody who is sick or has a catastrophe coming their way instead of having the normal aura around them will have kind of a smoky wispy shadow uh, that appears almost like a body bag and both Eddie and Roland when the light catches Stephen King just right uh, they, they they notice that this is here Eddie doesn't know what it is until Roland you know explains it but it means that something is happening be it King's many many addictions or the fact that the King's eye is looking for him at all times that you know he, he is marked you know, if if that's the case, it's pretty fair that he would have a nine thirty a.m. ten a.m. beer. Yeah, <laughs> that, that he would go. He would go through three beers in a row and then decide I'm going to drive and pick up my kid. I was going to say when you have the eye of the Crimson King on you full time. Yeah. You know, sometimes you got to crack a cold one. Yeah, you know what? Sometimes when you're under the red eye, you got to open a red stripe. Uh, that, that, that's that, that's the best I got. With your eyes is the other one I was going for. <laughs> <laughs> An IPA. Um, yeah. yeah, that's that, that, that's Ooh, the nice. battle I got. <laughs> um, that was dumb. <laughs> that was dumb. Don't don't reward that. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, he he is he, he's drinking, and you know they're noticing. I'm like, oh yeah, that's why he's putting on he's putting on weight because uh, you know this is the this is the way that he copes. Uh, but yeah, you know, writing the Dark Tower stories just got hard and he had all this other success. He had, you know, <laughs> The Shining. He has The Stand in the works. He had Carrie. Um, you know, and Roland, you know, they're, 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 there's an especially, you know, I, th I think meaningful line here. I think telling stories is like pushing something, pushing against uncreation itself, maybe. And one day you were when you were doing that. You felt something push back, you know, um, and this sets up this kind of eternal balance or a struggle between the forces of creation, Gan, as we're going to find out, and 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 Dis, the forces of of uncreation, um, is 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 what they're talking about. King is pushing against that and it desperately does not want this particular part of creation revealed. Whew. That, um, does not make me think that I could become a writer. <laughs> well, at least not a writer who is a conduit for a God. 
Well, yeah. <laughs> okay, there's two problems. <laughs> the, first, the first one is the conduit of the god. The second <laughs> one's, you know, just just the stress. That's a very depressing description of what the creative process is like. But 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 I love this because because I read about the tremendous success that he got. You know, he was he was right in the Dark Tower and he wrote a couple of novels and then immediately, you know, he becomes this famous writer chasing these other ideas, these other leads. Does that remind you of it where all of the losers club, they move away from dairy. Most of the losers club, except for Mike move away from dairy and become incredibly successful. Um, mostly as a way to keep them from returning. That that, that King's success with non tower stories is another way that, you know, these forces that are moving him across the board are trying to keep him in check. I don't know. Maybe that's a leap. Yeah. I... <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, I guess I take it back. That actually sounds like a pretty sweet trade and he should no, not be having a 10 a.m. beer. No, no. I mean, so, so you're, you're going to die. It'll be 1999. The tower will fall. Everything will be good. You, you won't be there. It's, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, I also love that this lines up with the things that we know from, from on writing. And here we even get a little bit of a writing lecture because, you know, at first it's a little bit of, um, you know, what King feels will sound like false humility, but over the course of a few iterations within this conversation and ultimately when he's, when he's hypnotized, you know, King says, I don't write this stuff. I just find it. Right. And then, you know, and then on writing, he says like, yeah, no, you just have to look for stuff that's already there. Don't construct, don't contrive. Um, that is how you make bad or tenuous things. That's how you make Rose matter, you know, is, is his kind of famous example here, which he takes a dump on later in the book too, which is kind of, kind of, kind of, <laughs> kind of weird. Um, and you know, that's, I feel an especially apt description of the creative process uh, from him, but to see that work, to see that ethos worked in to this, you know, to, to this world and to this universe to, you know, make that, to make that metaphor literal that he is not, you know, he is strictly not creating this. He is just pulling it from somewhere. He's pulling it from his navel. You know, he is either possessed by Gan or as Gan itself, you know, both him and the dark tower in the, in the course of the series are described as Gan's navel, Gan being this ultimate creative force, right? There's that line that he says, um, I buck against cause goad and will until the day I go into the clearing at the end of the path. Like mm -hmm. that was a heater. Yeah, no. And like, he's, he, he's incredibly reluctant, you know? So, so eventually Roland does the, uh, he, he does the bullet trick. You know, and King doesn't just recognize it for uh, being for being what he does for what Roland, how Roland hypnotized Jake. He says, "Oh, that's how you that's how you hypnotize Susan too." King didn't write that yet, <laughs> but he but he goes down, and this is where he regresses. You know, and and King, you know, sorry, Roland asks him, like, you know, like why 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 did you stop at the Western Sea? Why isn't it? You know, why isn't there more? King says, are you dumb? Because I don't want to be Gan. I turned aside from Dis. I should be able to turn aside from Gan as well. I love to write stories, but I don't want to write your story. I'm always afraid. He looks for me. The eye of the king. So, you know, he is bucking Ka. He is trying to 
not live up to these responsibilities and is instead being drawn by all of these forces, these other stories that are coming to him, this success that is pushing him toward that, his many addictions and, you know, kind of his family and kids. But ultimately, his family and kids, when we get to the end here, they're going to be forces that draw him closer to the tower, which is which is good. <laughs> it's it's kind of a nice positive moral for that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, <laughs> hey, I, there is a nice little moment in here, too, where Eddie is a little bit upset that Stephen King doesn't know who he is and hasn't written him yet. Like, he's he feels, a little disappointed. He like, feels left out. <laughs> I I can't imagine if I met my creator and he was like, uh, you're, and I was like, Autumn, you created me literally. And he was like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? Hey, hey, hey dad, can you please remember my name? Right? Yeah. Um, and I wonder if they, they didn't lean into this, but if you had a few points, Eddie talks about like, oh, I've never known my father. I never, you know, just, that's just not a. You know, forgetting the face of my father is a, is a is a thing. It very well could be that you know, obviously Roland is his father figure. Eddie could figure like, okay, well, I'm actually going to see the face of my father here, um, and then just feel forsaken like that. So like, oh, you haven't gotten around to me yet because time is timey wimey. Yeah, he does feel left out. I'm, though. I'm glad that I'm glad that. I'm glad that Stephen King didn't include a scene where like it's a flashback and Eddie's talking to um, his mom and he's like, who was my dad? And she's like, well, he was this rare books owner, <laughs> you know, no, we had a thing going for a while. Yeah. But you know, it's uh, he was, he was married to his work was the thing. It's a shame. He owned a lot of land in Manhattan. <laughs> <laughs> Probably the most exactly. beautiful flowers. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that would be fun. I like the idea. If 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 one of your characters is a dick to you, just going full duck amuck and just like, all right, well, I'm going to completely redraw this. And now you are the asshole. I, well, exactly. And, you know, they gave um, they gave he and Aaron like one big job, which was going back to save Callahan. But maybe there was a second job, which mm. is knocking Eddie's mama up. Yeah. So there, for, for the for the tower to stand. Um, wow. <laughs> but yeah, uh, you know, just over the course of this, we also, uh, learn about King's first encounter with the Crimson King and his first division of Roland's, um, uh, which goes back to, you know, this is, this is an actual thing. You'll notice that, uh, you know, chickens, uh, feature prominently in his stories, uh, you know, because King did grow up, you know, in, in, in some rural settings and what have you, he's, he's, he's scared of chickens. See the stand, right. And the visions that, uh, that mother Abigail has, but he and his brother were, were, were punished because they tried to run away. So they were sent out to the barn to chop wood. And there were some chickens that died from avian flu. Um, and little Stephen King, you know, as a child, less than 10, I think at this point saw these red spiders that were jumping around on the, on the chicken's eyes. And he knew that if he touched the chicken and if he touched the spiders, he would get the flu and that would be the end. Um, and a vision of Roland appeared to him and kept him from, 
kept it kept him from you know engaging further breaking that spell so he could go on and there have been many many other times that king doesn't specifically recognize or remember where he's had these brushes you know with fate or ill fortune um and either been saved by similar visions or by just kind of his own dumb luck basically they they kind of did him a solid just like Susanna did for that um uh, European guy at the very beginning of the book when yeah. she was like, your bowels will be regular. <laughs> they did take this terrible memory from Stephen King, so he didn't have to think about it all the time anymore. Yep, you are unburdened by the chickens, although maybe you've already written that part of the stand. It'll 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 be fine. Um, but yeah, yeah. They, 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 they've got the information that they need and they, you know, it just Stephen King's mission is is not just to poop at the same time and not worry about his cheating wife uh, his mission is to continue writing the dark tower because he is a twin of the tower a twin of the gan a twin twin of the rose any of these things um and they say all right you know right when you hear the song of the turtle um and try your best not not to stray and then king turns around and says all right i'll listen for that you've got to listen for the song of susanna uh, because she is in more trouble than you realize. Um, additionally, I have mail privileges. I can use them once, uh, which means I can send you stuff within the story. Uh, oh, and Black 13, you're going to need to put that beneath the Twim Towers. Kind of mentioned offhandedly, Twim being the high speech for two under the two towers. Yeah. Yeah. Foreshadowing. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna get there. I don't know how I feel about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, we'll get there in a second. Yeah. Yeah. Because we because we can't miss the best moment in this section. <laughs> Roland's pro smoking PSA. Oh my gosh! Like Eddie's like, hey man, like Stephen King, you got to cut it out with those cigarettes. You need to live forever to write this story. And Roland's like, what are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> Haven't you heard of the miasma theory of disease? It keeps the bad air out. It it it, it strengthens the lungs. The only people who yeah. don't smoke are fucking poor. What are you doing? He's got to smoke more. <laughs> <laughs> and when he says the condescending, everyone knows this. <laughs> like, what is the matter with you? Everybody knows this. <laughs> oh, it feels a little bit like a. Uh... And Metal Gear Solid, Otacon saying like, S "Snake, are those cigarettes?" Yeah, I I smuggled them. <laughs> I smuggled them in in my in my in my stomach. Don't you know what the Surgeon General says? Like, okay, well, they're it's gonna stop me from blowing up on laser trip mines. <laughs> it's just just so funny <laughs> because because he's just like, well, yeah, smoking rules, and it's gonna make him. It's gonna make me live forever. Obviously, it's gonna work for him too. <laughs> amazing um, it's very good so ultimately they decide not to not not to post hypnotic suggestion away his 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 vices they figure they've monkeyed around in this poor man's skull enough he's already got a lot going on um and so they leave and 10 minutes later king wakes up refreshed he's got no memory gets a little bit of inspiration and he writes he writes onto a note uh and then eats it and then goes to pick up his kid I love the idea that he is eating it and that's how he's exercising his male privileges. Like he's Janet from the good place. 
<laughs> I found it in my mouth. Um, I love it too. I hadn't thought about it like that, and that's perfect. <laughs> it shows up later, <laughs> so that has to be how it works. Um, any final thoughts on that chapter? Because it's really dense. There, there, there's a lot of stuff going on there. No, it was it was good. You know, it takes a it takes a lot of chops to insert a deus ex machina and make the deus yourself. Yes. Um, how, I don't think I've seen that done anywhere else. How how did that land for you reading it contemporaneously? Because I think by the time I read this, I kind of knew that he factored in uh, to the end because I knew I knew specifically about his about his car accident and, and him wanting to crank stuff out. Um, and that has obviously changed the nature of this back half. Like, how, how did that land for you? Were you like, what the fuck? Or were you like, tell me more? You know, I think at the time I was a little bit upset about the, um, or I didn't particularly enjoy the, I guess, fan service type of references. Like, you love it when you see it in the Avengers movies and the Marvel Universe. Like, yeah. oh, did you see that reference to so-and-so? But, I mean, saying that he was instructed to tie all of his works together into this work and everything, I'm like, okay, sure, we get it. <sighs> like, way to, way to backsplain it. Like... <laughs> Yeah, I, I I can see that, and that um, I I I can definitely understand arriving at that. I don't know. Maybe it's because this is this is among some of the first Stephen King that I read, basically on writing the stand, and and then and then this, I I you know it 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 didn't it didn't particularly stick out for me in my own personal journey with uh with with, with the works along with my aforementioned um let's say enhanced tolerance for meta stuff. But I, I think there might be like this, that tipping point that I mentioned earlier, because I had probably read um, the first four books, 15, 20 times a piece by the time six and seven came out. Mm -hmm. So, so you're kind of predisposed at that point to not like anything. Cause you know, you just did your reread with your four old friends, yeah. you know, leading up to it. And then you're like, well, this is new and different. I hate it. <laughs> yeah the, the the this old stuff is it, it is good it is good in a way that i'm familiar with mm -hmm. you know but um now that switch is flipped and i'm on my my grease slide right down to the end i can't wait to read seven <laughs> i like seven quite a bit um uh, when they get back into into the journeying side of it ah, the white lands of empathica come on uh, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm going to be all about that when we get there uh but there's still more to do here and uh, in the 12th stanza with jake and callahan our good friends not appearing for for ten stanzas. Yeah, they, they just get you their kind of forget about them. <laughs> you, you do. Um, you spend a lot of time with Mia, and it's like, all right, you get one chapter, and half of it is talking about how you know you're going to die. <laughs> um, um, what when they when they we first switch over to Jake and Callahan, there's there's some drama. Oh, he gets hit by a car. Just about. Yeah. yeah or do, 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 does he does he get hit by the car? I I, I forget. I know that I, Jake loses his fucking mind. I thought I thought he was crying or whimpering or something, and Jake rushed over to him and he was on the ground. But oh. um so it it, it might have been a near miss and he was just scared, but whoo, Jake goes full John Wick. Oh yeah. No, he he pulls the cabbie out and then draws his uh draws his Ruger on him. Again, this And he's good. Like uh, he's like eleven. 
yeah. still, right? Like Some, 11 something or like 12. that. You know, it just it, it it gets a little swimmy at that point what he is, but he's definitely he is definitely not a teenager yet. You know, here's this little kid yeah. pulling a gun on you. Um, you know, and yes, he is protecting not just his pet but his best friend a member of his quartet, but he looks at his best friend and a member of his quartet about to be hit by a car when he absolutely remembers in graphic and vivid detail seeing seeing himself and feeling himself being hit by a car, you know, when, when Jack Mort pushed him in front of Jack Andalini's town car, right? <laughs> like, yeah, you know, it's kind of like, hey, do you know how much it sucks to be hit by a car? Because I do, and you absolutely deserve to be shot for this if you don't apologize. I think I think my man Jake has spent a little too much time in the the wild <laughs> wild west of Midworld. <laughs> He's gone feral. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this is like Deadwood Midworld the movie. <laughs> yep. Uh, Callahan, he is splitting time between trying to defuse the situation. Um, and also trying to uh, keep himself together um, in New York, where he had hoped he, you know, he'd always hoped he would go back to it, but he was not ready for future New York, or also just a reminder that this place, in his words, is a fucking madhouse. Whew. Yeah. So <laughs> they, they they managed to get around this uh, because Harrigan shows up. They appeared in front of the in front of the plaza um in front of in front of the building where the where the rose is held here again again the 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 high priest of the church of the holy god bomb um you know he comes up and sends everybody on their way and even deals with somebody another frustrated driver who was who was you know caught up in traffic um we ended the previous chapter with susanna having sent him a message and harrigan not necessarily registering it for us but he did receive it he knows he saw Susanna being, you know, getting into the taxi, getting into the limo. He's attuned to this and I he had, relays. Go ahead. I, I had forgotten by this point in the book, um, as far as we are into it, that the the members of the quartet, the pairs didn't go where they were supposed to go originally. Mm hmm. So I had forgotten that, like, there was a moment when Jake's like, we're not even supposed to be here. And I was like, oh, yeah, don't. <laughs> Oh, no, you're not. You both had different jobs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Look at Callahan even says it's a, it's a it's a it's a joke. You know, a priest who's never shot a gun and a little kid. <laughs> it reminded me a little bit what Jake said that, though, of like clerks, like just being like, we're not even supposed to be here. Like... <laughs> um, and it only has the original ending of clerks for one of the two. Am I am I right about what, what, what's the actual What's the theatrical end of your clerks? Because there's one where it just kind of ends with the day going on, and there's another where it ends with Dante being shot in a stick-up for no reason at all. Abs absolutely. That's pretty much the rest of this book. K kinda, yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> they really are not supposed to be here. Um, <sighs> yeah. So um, Harrigan knows more than they, you know, they, they let on. He knows that the rose is there. You know, and he even recites what's on the plaque in front of the rose. And he has been here since the, you know, since the days when it was in, you know, Tom and Jerry's artistic deli. Right. Um, and he had been mm -hmm. worried about it, you know, himself. That's why he chooses to preach here, because it is a place of music. It is a place of receptiveness. And no matter how lovely this place is, Jake and Callahan need to scurry 
because two women got into that cab. One is good and the other is trouble. Very true. Yep. And as they're riding, Jake gets visions, you know, just kind of the psychic residue of Susanna here, getting uh, visions of Odetta's Dogen, which is the jail cell in Oxford town with the radio. Um, this is just my guess, but he talks about how there's another man in the, in the, in the cell is a black man with a pencil, with a pencil mustache, who is another avatar of the Rose that, that has to be Martin Luther King, right? Uh, yeah. Or, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I think, I think so. I was just trying to think of other, other men with pencil mustaches and I'm like, not little Richard, <laughs> not Lionel Richie, <laughs> not John Waters, wrong race. Um, yeah. yeah, pencil mustache. Not necessarily. I just. I have to think that. I have to think that's the case because of because King, right? Martin Luther. And it, it would play really well into this whole memory thing about the the Freedom Riders that they that they go into with uh, Susanna later. Yes. Yeah. Just the uh, the yes. idea that this that this would be, for lack of a better word, Odetta's happy place, even though it is a mental prison to which she was banished in the merger. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, I, I just wanted to bounce that off you to make sure I was not entirely off off base. I did a search around it, and I cannot remember. Um, I, I I could not pull anything definitive up. Yeah, no, I think I think you're totally right. Yeah. Um. So they get to the hotel uh, where they know um the, the, where they, where they know uh, Su- Susanna came from, and they check at the front desk, and Stephen King's throat mail came through. Uh, it's a package. <laughs> Uh, and the clerk says, is that the famous author, Stephen King? And they don't know how to answer that question. Uh, yeah. The note that King wrote, data chum, data chi, not to worry, you've got the key. Data chud, data ched, see it, Jake, the key is red. Uh, and then as Jake looks at this white mag striped key, uh, it turns red in his hand, kind of confirming its fictitious nature, that it is something kind of literally written into not just the story, not just reality, but Keystone reality. You know, you you had mentioned that about are you re- is it that Stephen King? I, I love it when she's like, you know, there's probably a bunch of other Stephen Kings out there that just wish <laughs> the guy would knock it off. Yeah, just give it a rest, buddy. <laughs> yeah, why should I change my name? He's the one that writes a lot. <laughs> He's the one who sucks. <laughs> yeah, it's a real Michael Bolton problem. Um, I, I, exactly. I celebrate his entire catalog. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah <laughs> so that that was a funny line uh because you know i mean it's it it has to be a common enough name right or at least yeah, at the time like a- i can't imagine somebody with the last name king giving their kids the name steven now but yeah no there's that one guy on um amazon on the kindle store that's like steven some consonant letter king and people keep buying his books and then being outraged that <laughs> they're not the stephen king <laughs> It's about the history of a rocking chair. I don't care. I thought it would be a monster. <laughs> oh, yeah. man. Uh, scary scene here. We've seen a little bit of what uh, of what Black 13 can do. Um, and Callahan and Jake face it almost at its full power. It's It's awake in a way that it wasn't before. And the only thing between them and it is the ghostwood box and the and the bowling bag. And the safe of room 1919. Yeah, it's it's turn of room 1919 into room 1408. Nailed I, it. Y- yeah. 
Um, wait, let me do, let me do some quick, uh, so 20, it would be, it would be 20, 1919 adds up to 20. Um, anyway, I, I, I wondered if it would add up to 13, but that's not how math works. Cole. Hey, <laughs> but, but three of the numbers in there are involved in September 11th, which we're about to find out that Stephen King did. <sighs> I, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm so confused. Hey, if if Stephen King has the power of Gan, he did 9/11. Yeah. That's how it works. And it's, it was it was it was an uh, it was an inside job. Oof. Um. But yeah, Callahan almost loses as well. He he is tempted to cut Jake's throat and then jump out the window. But Jake, uh, without ever hearing of any of these things before, um, quiets Black Thirteen with a prayer to the White and to Gan. Uh, the White being, you know, the creative positive force that uh that, that that can represents and so let's let's get to it let's get to what you're talking about with the stephen king did 9-11 thing remember um the, the cryptic thing that stephen king back on level main said you need to take the take black 13 to the towers well they go they go to you know they ask around like what's what's a place where you can store something for a couple of years and i'll go there are these coin operated lockers you know most secure in the city so go ahead and take them there uh, and there's a there's a nice little side story that's here to distract you with Callahan marveling at a, a vending machine that takes cash. Um, and they get uh, <laughs> they get locker uh, eight eighty three adds up to nineteen. Um, he's <gasps> yep he's sickened by uh, the North Central Positronics placard on it, and when they leave, camera pulls out and looks up here in nineteen ninety nine. They have put Black Thirteen, the artifact of ultimate evil, um, beneath the Twin Towers, uh, where we'll be safe until at least 2002, where hopefully they can do something about it. Or Jake, in what Callahan takes as a joke, Jake says, or maybe the building will come down and destroy it. Um, and that is how Black Thirteen is disposed of in the destruction of the world trade center during the terrorist attacks that took place on September 11th. Maybe that was part of why I didn't like the, the book as much. Cause I would have read this pretty fresh after that. And I would have been like, really, really, you're going to do that. It's... Yeah. Like it, it was two years ago or something like that. It, it feels tasteless to me. And it did strike me as, either tin-eared or tone-deaf when I read it for the first time in 2010 or so. I yeah. can only imagine it would feel more so if I read it, if I read it more closely. I, maybe, maybe that was my problem. It was September 11th combined with the Harry Potter sneeches. And mm, I was like, you know what? It's too much. This is not happening, Mr. King. This is not happening today. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't know that you, uh, I don't know that you earned that. Um, yeah, I just that th there's probably a th th there there probably but could have been a real cool climactic way they could have destroyed it and you didn't have to work in a real life tragedy. Now, I I don't necessarily at at this point believe that they caused nine eleven by putting by God what a fucking sentence. I don't believe they caused nine eleven by putting the ball beneath the towers. Like I don't think it was just a magnetism. I think that. In general, the story ends, Gan and whatever, 
led them to something that would be as close to a pure destruction outside of say an atomic bomb or something like that. Like this was going to happen anyway. And if you're, you know, because the story revolves around New York, this is where, this is where it would be to coincidentally, if not destroy this, then bury it deep enough that nobody would be able to get at it. So you're not saying as much that Stephen King did 9-11. You're saying Stephen King profited from 9-11. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, again, <laughs> what a sentence. Uh, that's the most charitable read that I can put on it. I just maybe it's it's given it's treated so blasely too it's like it's almost like a you know those those copy pasted stories and that young boy was albert einstein you know <laughs> and 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 that storage locker was beneath the world trade center hey who who would have a storage locker in the world trade center that you could put enough coins in to last till 2002 doesn't that just seem like a place to do crimes it it does and at the at the end, Stephen King says there there is a lot of a lot of license uh, being used. As far as he knows, there were that the, there is no basement under the Alamo, and there are no coin op lockers beneath the twin towers. Thank goodness, because they would be used like like one lady would have a tote bag and some gym shoes, and every other one would be full of crimes. Yep, uh, just uh, different different crimes, and that would be her office. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I I don't I don't care for this. At the at the very best, it's it's incredibly gumpy. It's it's got kind of a Forrest Gump kind of vibe to it, doesn't it? Agree. Yeah. Dumb and bad. I wish that it wasn't the case. Uh, but Black Thirteen is out of the picture, I suppose. So Yahtzee. <laughs> <sighs> I'm I'm exhausted, Autumn. <laughs> well, you better you better get yourself in gear because we're about to have a very violent, scary birth. Yes, we are. Um, <laughs> uh, Jake and Callahan they're going to get there too late, but their destination is the Dixie Pig. You know where where, where Susanna Mio has parked her rig, um, and <laughs> they're sure that they're not going to leave the place alive. You know they just they both kind of know it. Uh, Callahan even gives Jake the last rites, even though he heard. Jake doing some weird prayers to something called Gan before. Um, yeah, I can't remember if it was here or if it was earlier, but there's like this moment where Callahan like talks to God and he's like, God, if you're still there, like if, if you hear me, this is Callahan, which mm -hmm. I guess is like the sentence I said earlier. <laughs> like, God, it's me. <laughs> it's when the, it's when they're fighting off the influence of, uh, of black 13 um, Callahan. Yeah. He flashes back okay. to the moment when Barlow defeated him. Uh, because of his lack uh, of faith, okay. yep. you know, uh, Callahan's life was about the symbols and he overcame, he overcame the influence of black 13 by appealing directly to the source itself, by not going through, um, yeah. a conduit of his own, a talisman of his own. <laughs> it just reminded me of that, um, uh, that, that children's book from the seventies. Like, are you there? God, it's me, Callahan. And I, I've got a lot of questions about <laughs> menstruation. Are you there? God, it's me, Callahan. I own a saloon that <laughs> happens to be at the crossroads of time, and a bunch of characters came in, and I'm very confused now. Um, <laughs> man. Um, speaking of weird books from the 70s, yeah. Um, yeah. But they've got a chance 
Autumn, they've got a chance because what does Oi find? What does Oi bring to them? But the Sculpida. <gasps> Sculpida! Yep, our little friend, the turtle. Um, and so they're like, all right, this is no longer a suicide mission. It may be, um, you know, that th- th- this could be of use to us. Jake uh, hands Callahan the Ruger, says, you know, have you ever shot anything before? And Callahan says, no. <laughs> Jake takes out the, the, the Arizas, the plates, um, and he's only thrown them once before. And Jake gives Callahan some lessons, you know, oil going between them and they will they they will shoot and they will move and they will shoot and they will move and they will see how it works out. And there's you know, good. Oh, I was going to just say about the arises. Um, you know, with the exception of two ladies that weren't that great at it, like everybody seems to be really good with the arises. Maybe you and I would be good at it. I think so. We've never tried. I'm, like maybe it's like a frisbee that kills people. Like you know. I I am preternaturally bad at throwing frisbees, Autumn. Oh, I'm so bad at it too. Just it, it, the, the, they immediately um, either swing way off to the right, or it takes just a dive and then rolls on the ground like I was bowling. I shut my eyes when I catch it too, which is why my catch rate's about seventy percent. Yeah, I I, I I shut my eyes. Um, I I can never do a one-handed catch. I always do the. Um, I, I always do like the clapboard, like the two hands, like uh, try to get it between the two. Um, yeah. I, I did not excel at sports. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> thank, th- thank goodness for, for health class. The only thing that I could take a test in and get a passing grade in PE um, <laughs> since we had a skill grade. <laughs> <coughs> yep. Uh, this is how you brush your teeth. That's an A. Cool. <laughs> it, 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 like health class is just a, it's, it's a way for the state to show you pictures of, of syphilis shankers and then you get an a you know i went to like a little um non-religious private school for nerds and they told us all about venereal diseases we saw lots of pictures yeah we, we, we saw... they're happy to tell you that part of it <sighs> yep no um yeah we, we we saw videos of birth and stuff like that it was real uh yeah it was real bad also a lot of lies just 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 bunches of lies about sex and drugs that they told us that the state the state told us hmm. yeah <laughs> thanks ohio thanks um so this is <laughs> this is where jake and galleon's <laughs> this is where jake and galleon's story uh for for this book ends um that's gonna the next book is gonna pick up with that uh but we're gonna go to the 13th stanza how mia how mother and this this bus is kind of driving itself a little bit. We have something that amounts to a final confrontation between Susanna and Mia. Um, but you know, this book is going to end with that baby being born. Um, the Dogen's in a bad way. Susanna is noticing, you know, sparks flying from the, from the board. She's noticing cracks in the floor. Um, all kinds of things are bad because the meters are maxing out. She can no longer avoid uh, avoid cranking the uh, uh, the labor force dial up. But on the way to the Dixie Pick, they pass a busker who is playing Man of Constant Sorrow, um, a song that in the series is associated with her performance for the Kala. Um, for me, I I cannot uncouple that from Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Agree. Yes, just for forever that that song is. Is just mixed up with that movie. 
Um, but Susanna is incredibly nostalgic for it. She learned that song, you know, back in her day, back in the civil rights. Um, and she goes basically through her own unfound door, you know, to the land of memory where it is always now and basically drags Mia through there, hearing the people that she was with in Mississippi doing voter registration, hearing the boys and the girls singing it, um, when they're arrested, and this ultimately segues into fond memories of Susanna's mother, of Odetta's mother, Detta's mother, too. I'm going to give her credit um, and just kind of the positive, you know, helpful influence that, that that she was. And this breaks Mia. What do you think about Mia's way too late epiphany in this regard? I think that in hindsight, that's the only way they could have gotten to her is through the mother angle. If that's all that she is mm -hmm. like, she, she saw a, a cute little kid named Michael, but these tender moments of motherhood, I, I, I think her, having her see those through somebody else's memories is the only thing that would have shown her. Yeah. Um, this is, this is not something that I really picked up um, on the, on the first go through. Um, I don't know, maybe because I just, I wasn't attuned to it. It feels obvious, obvious in hindsight, but, you know, again, this is, you know, at Dark Tower is a series about obsessions. This is the obsession being revealed as incomplete, just like Mia is. They had been calling her, you know, she is, she is Mia, daughter of none, right? And, you know, that can be a description for this incorporeal being who is not necessarily human, who is artificial um, in, a, in a pretty profound way. Um, you know, she is incomplete. Her obsession is incomplete because being a mother is not all it is to be human. What she wants and what she realizes she can never have is to, you know, be a daughter in addition to being a mother. Right. Um, and this sense of overwhelm, this idea that she was chasing the wrong tower, that she was eating that better meal, um, you know, causes enough of a weakness for Susanna to at least save Jake's life by, uh, by, by, by taking over and dropping the, dropping the turtle. And we got a lot of Dave's sex machinas, huh? We got uh, yeah. Turtles. We got, we got throat mail. <laughs> turtles. We got throat mail. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. <laughs> Humies, robots. You can't tell the difference. Mm-hmm um girls 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 um yeah lots of lots of deus ex machina um yeah do you think they do a good job of 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 uh bringing pathos to to, to mia through 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 the course of this you know it it took us so long to really get into to detta i mean she was infuriating in the drawing of the three yeah um but now she's again i'm going back to the same tired old old friend metaphor now but i mean i think that this is I, i'm glad that mia wasn't just evil to the end or not evil but careless and selfish till the end like i'm, mm -hmm. I'm glad that they did have this little breakthrough for her yeah um she's extremely frustrating because because i mean so the it wouldn't be tragedy if somebody didn't walk blindly and uh, walk blindly into a situation and become their own undoing you know like it has like it has to be a 
tragedy. <laughs> that is the necessary ingredient. Um, a problem that I feel with Mia's uh, approach, and, I, and I'm glad that ultimately King sticks with the character and tries and you know and, and tries to deliver on this. Is it kind of feels like she's she, she has she's having the same conversations and the same realizations over and over. I I can I can see that it it did feel it felt like they had her have the realization they went through some more lines they started to move and then she was like oh man I missed out on motherhood mm-hmm. again <laughs> I think that's fair but but but, but, then, but then even after this it's like whenever Sayer talks she immediately flips back into gear and uh, you know and and falls back into being an incredibly useful idiot. Um, I'm using that as a term of art. I'm not calling a, a woman an idiot, even if she isn't actually hu- human. <laughs> um, B- Mia's not very bright, though. I mean, yeah. she's not human, and she's yeah. I I I wouldn't like to see how she would perform on standardized tests. <laughs> those are those are culturally bound anyway. They don't favor the sluts of the winds. <laughs> Sayer is such a dick. Oh. Man, that's a good that's a good phrase though. Slut of the wind. Uh but we get to see inside the the Dixie Pig as as Susanna goes into goes into labor. Um I love this uh because it does feel a little bit Avengersy, but you know, it's like if there was a movie that was just about the uh I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna switch publishers here that was just about the Legion of Doom because we go in and we've got all the stars. We've got any number of different kinds of vampires. We've got the low men, both masked and and unmasked. Uh, we've got the bugs, Autumn. We, we've got the bugs from the Little Sisters of Illyria. <laughs> and we're roasting a baby. Yes, they're roasting a baby as if it were a chicken. They're they're roasting a baby under a painting of a guy eating a baby. <laughs> yep, they are extremely single issue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um anti-life i think would be would be their uh their, their 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 political mission um yeah this is a horror show you know it's not the dixie pig it's the dixie long pig you know yeah. uh you know it is, it is a feast for cannibals and i love the description that goes into this because you know the dead man's party right I just you you mentioned Sayer is there. <laughs> oh man, Detta, I love you, girl. <laughs> she goes down fighting. I it's so good. <laughs> I love that he can't stand her. Like she is like um, it, you know, somebody with belief holding a cross up to a vampire. Like he's like, shut her up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it's not just like peak either. Um, it is just, it, it, it jams him up in, in a really profound way. Um, yeah, and... I mean, she literally says to him, you ain't jack shit. And I'm sure Sayer doesn't hear that very often. No, everybody seems to, you know, how high I am when he, when he says jump. Um, but yeah, you ain't shit. It's exactly right. Talking to this rat man, you know, we've got the, we've got the low men here. They're the Cantoy. They're these, you know, hybrid hybrid human animal kind of fellows and, and, and say Sayer is Sayer is one of them. Um, yeah, that's the other thing. Detta is incredibly easy to come around to because she eventually starts wanting to kill the right people. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the you way mean, you mean anyone, but Eddie. Yes. 
Yep, that that is exactly what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> she, she, she could be trying to kill Roland all the time. Whatever that happens, don't try and kill Eddie. He's he's a he's a good boy. It's, it's fine. <laughs> uh, but I share an opinion about Sayer with her. Um, and yeah, they pass by a room with some desiccated elder vampires, and you know, Mia again one final time begs Sayer, "Hey, you know, will you keep your promise?" And she. Uh, Licks his boot when he asks, you know, and Ooh, the, the, this is, this, this is a very impactful scene. So, I mean, like it's brief, but like it's Su Susanna's begging her to not do it. Um, and this is, this is viscerally unpleasant. Um, and yeah. regardless, it doesn't do anything because here's, here, here's the hint. Anybody who, um, says they'll give you what you what you want if you will lick their boot probably is not going to follow through on the deal and mia can't see through her obsession to 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 to, to realize that and so she demeans herself as they're ultimately carted through the back halls of the pig to the door to fedic um and i forgot about this little detail um because when we were seeing, um, when we were seeing Mia before, when you know Mia's consciousness would draw Susanna through to the castle allure, um, you know it was so real, it was physical. There were physical consequences. Um, Mia had a token too. Mia could also create by seeing. Uh, the castle allure it exists, uh, but the one that they went to was not was not specifically the one. It was her token. Um, and Mia has kind of always been here in this room, bearing the child as Mia's body has been faxing it over um, and possessing Susanna kind of right up until the point where they come through the door back to back to the end world and, you know, put Susanna onto the onto the table next door. I, th I think we got to both admit here. Mia's Dogen is cooler. Yes. Um <laughs> Like Kwanzaa huts seem neat. I think it'd be fun to have one on some property, but I don't know. Like I've driven, yeah, I drive by Kwanzaa huts. There are lots of them out here in rural Ohio. Uh, most of them are like rusty and shitty and, you know, Susanna doesn't necessarily know a lot about technology. So there's a lot of stuff to get, you know, there's a skeleton in the corner of hers, which might be cool, but you know, you want to have that, like, I think in a glass case that you can cover with a curtain. Yeah. yeah. Um, Mia's Dogen is much cooler. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I would agree. Yeah. I mean, <sighs> it's, number number one, it's a castle. Number two, crevice of fire in front of it. You know? <laughs> it's, just, it's just cool. Yeah. And I, I do love the idea that she's been here all of these, like, all of this time. Like, it, that does have, I think he mentioned that gormangast like this was going to be his epic kind of like that like it does have that that kind of feel like yes. it's just this old decaying gothic castle you know mm -hmm. yeah that's i i, I that, that that is a good reveal and for as many times as i've as I read this and listened to it i always i always forget that because i think in oh. my head i'm casting forward to castle discordia and what we find I there I think I did the same thing in memory because I definitely didn't call that out in my head until you you brought it up in this podcast. So totally agree. <laughs> um, thanks for dropping some wisdom. Yeah. 
Um, so the birth is going to happen. They're putting Susanna, um, on this, on this table. They, you know, in the arc 16 experimental station where they ruined the kids. Um, they put a helmet on and, uh, the helmet asks for Susanna's name. She says, fuck you. Um, and I feel bad for laughing at this joke because it is, it, it is literally just the pie in the face of humor, but, uh, she says, fuck you. And the helmet fires back. Uh, fuck you does not register as a valid name for a non-Asian. I understand that as a problematic joke, but it's also really funny to me. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. It's, it's like the, the kid from, from it, right? Richie. Yeah. That's a, that's a, that's a modern Ricky Tozier type. Joke. <laughs> yep. Oh man. Did you see the, the, the trailer for the new, uh, for the new it? Oh yeah. That looks like a pop, huh? Oh, that looks really good. They adapt. They, they, they chose one of my favorite scenes from the book for it too. The, 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 the dinner with the old lady. You know, I think, I think casting is, I see why they give awards for it. I mean, mm -hmm. casting is definitely one of the skills that I don't always think about, like, because I, I don't know, the actors sometimes are so obvious and perfect that you're like, it, it couldn't have been anyone else, yeah. but, um, casting's definitely an art. Mm-hmm. And, and absolutely. I forget the actress. Uh, the, the only, the only one that I can name off the top of my head, is, because I think it's, it's an inspired choice is Bill Hader as, as, as Richie. Yeah. Yeah. Regardless. Oh, can't wait. <laughs> I'm so excited for it. Um, anyway, though, uh, they put this helmet on and this does the remainder of the transfer as they both go through the labor. Um, and it's ultimately born, you know, to the final line, the screams of their birth that ultimately forms the song of Susanna. And on the wings of that song, Mordred to Shane, son of Roland and one other, oh, can you say Discordia came into the world? And... Mordred is not just a coming, and Mordred is not just a hungry. Mordred it is a here, and Mordred is a hungry. Oof. Yeah. <laughs> Book seven. <laughs> Please, soon. Um, we have a coda where Stephen King fictionalizes um, 22 years of his life. And we've, we've talked about the stand a lot already, but this also just reminds me of Franny's diary. It does. He, he has the same, the exact same tone as a <laughs> 22 year old girl. <laughs> the, 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 like the, the, the same asides and the same, you know, bad jokes. Like, I don't know. I'm, you know, I've, I've very rarely kept a diary in my life, but I've never, I've never written to myself, I presume. Well, how about that? <laughs> Yeah. Or you don't spell says S A Y S as S E Z. No, no. Not unless I'm transcribing Prince lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's a lot of detail in here, especially if you're a dork about, uh, about Stephen King's, uh, kind of biography and as, and as creative output as, 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 as we are. Um, there's not an awful lot, I think worth dwelling on that is not just, um, you know, fan service kind of stuff, talking about these other works, talking about you know, just where different things fit in. Like when he sat down to try to write the wastelands, he got frustrated. So he wrote Rose Matter instead, but figured, Hey, that might also just kind of fit in the world. Like what if she goes there and finds Roland, um, kind of outlining how that is, how that is connected. I think the most important stuff here is his, his relationship with a tower in these kind of fugue states that he goes through when the wind is blowing um, and how supportive Tabitha is 
you know, kind of trying to set things up and make room for him when he is, uh, when he, when, 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 when the wind is blowing, she even asks this and is attuned to it. Um, and ultimately it goes through when he quits drinking and, you know, talks about, you know, again, these revelations that we had before where it feels like there is a force that is trying to stop him. Um, but there are also forces that are urging him along. There are, you know, purely by uh, you know, autobiographical sections where he talks about people frustrated with the ending of the wastelands, you know, and talking about like, would they believe that I didn't know how that was going to end? Would they believe that I don't know how the, the dark tower is going to end? All of that kind of stuff. Um, a lot of this can feel like, like apologia or uh, apologia. However you pronounce that, I, I, I apologize. Fictionalizing your own creative output. Um, and I think that's up to every individual person. For me, I, I I really dig this because as the Dark Tower becomes about a person reflecting on their creative work throughout their life and becomes a conversation with yourself about what ultimately is just creative intuition, but trying to manifest it, um, you know, as these other ideas and these metaphors to explain that intuition um i am very susceptible to that idea and those ideas so there's an uncharitable read and a charitable read i am on the charitable side you know it's um i remember when i was graduating high school one of my friends was applying to, to art school and she had to submit a portfolio and one of the requirements for it was a self-portrait because people don't tend to be good at drawing themselves right I, and I always thought that was kind of interesting, uh, but I, 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 what I liked about the coda is looking into the moments that he selected throughout it mm -hmm. to to pick to tell this. I mean, because it's not very long. This little skim story of thirty years of his life. Um, it was, it was really interesting. It was it was good moments. It's uh, interesting progression. Like the man, I need to stop drinking so much. Um, got a little repetitive. But it, it, I really enjoyed this coda. Yeah. Um, and it ends, you know, with something that we know is not true, but in the in the continuity of the book with this fictionalized version of Stephen King, it you know, is, is true. Um, when he goes for a walk on June 19th, 1999, 1919, um, you know, is the day after Father's Day and is hit by a van. It ends with his obituary. He... Uh, he passes away and that is how we leave this book and go into the next. You know, um, were you reading a physical copy of this book? No. Um, cause my Kindle copy actually stopped at 87% and started the next few of, um, book seven, the dark tower. Weird. And I haven't seen them do that on any other books and i'm wondering if people tend like if that was a publisher decision at the time once they went from hardback to paperback to go ahead and put a little nudge in there or something like hey keep going with the story you're gonna love it <laughs> to, to do to do a little preview that happens sometimes um in his books i remember it was like the end of the end of eleven twenty two sixty three included an excerpt or a chapter from dr sleep um and okay. when, when I listened to the audiobook version of this, um, to refresh my memory and to, and to get the, to get the read through, um, 
it ended with um it, it ended with an excerpt of book seven as well but my kindle copy uh it it ends with the wordslinger's note um you know with his uh with gotcha. his thanks to robin firth etc yeah mine had um two full chapters of the dark tower seven weird yeah yeah that uh that lines up though. It's a. It, it seems like a paperback trick. It seems like uh, you know, putting in a preview at the end of a comic. Yeah, I, I confess for a second, I was like, man, Cole did a bad job of evening like evening <laughs> this stuff out because this third section feels really long. I'm only at eighty six percent. What? Come like, on, come what on. Happen in, like next. Jeez, how yeah. long is this episode gonna be? It's it's, it's definitely gonna break <laughs> the one fifteen we usually do. Exactly. But um then, you know, I got to eighty seven percent and I was like, uh okay. Cole knew what was up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to that stuff in good time, but I would not I would not endeavor, uh even even though the opening, you know, does segue into a resolving Callahan story. Uh I would I would never yeah. tack it on because we have to we have to go we have to go and we have to talk about uh talk about other stuff before we get to book seven. Um before we do that though, do you have any final thoughts uh that you want to offer about uh about this book? Just, just reiterating what I what I said earlier. I um I've really enjoyed this reread. I don't know if it's hitting that 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 uh, again tipping point or if it's um just talking about it with you and and really digging into it. But I'm um, having the time of my life, Cole. About a a very tense um scary set of circumstances. Um, much <laughs> as much as Eddie said, I'm scared, Cole. I'm scared. <laughs> Yeah, I'm having a good time too. I don't know that I have an awful lot to add, but to reiterate something that I said, um, you know, last episode, which is, you know, it, it, <laughs> consuming anything for a show and thinking about how you're going to talk about it and looking at it in a, you know, in in a non-casual, probably non-intended way, and especially talking it through, opens up new avenues, and those new avenues for me have been really enjoyable. I'm seeing. Song of Susanna through New Light. And even though it does feel like an extended prologue for book seven, um, there's some worthwhile stuff here. And it does feel like it expands upon some stuff that feels like it has made for me the meta textual, you know, author within the book, House of Leap shit. Yeah. Well, hey, Sweet House of Leaves reference. <laughs> nice. Uh, love that book. <laughs> it's a good book. Um, Autumn, where can people find you online? Um, you can find me on Twitter at, at Mrs. Greer. That's M-I-S-S-U-S Greer. Um, you can also find um, myself and Jeremy uh, at, at Dead Blood Club on Twitter, uh, which is the, the Anne Rice Vampire Chronicles podcast that we were talking about at the beginning. Yeah. Um, I recommend you do all of those things. Um, and, <laughs> and I'm gonna, I'm gonna go subscribe now as you should, uh, as you should, uh, too. I've never read one of those books. Uh, so I'll probably experience them vicariously through y'all. Uh, the next, the next time people see you cold, you're going to be wearing like a, like a velvet overcoat with big drapey lace sleeves. <laughs> you're, you're going to be a fop. Yeah. Yeah. No. 19th century fop. Going to go full Lestat. That's that, that's the one, right? Lestat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, our, our 18th century i don't know what the peak of fop culture was but um we're, you know, we're gonna somewhere find out. in there <laughs> cool uh you can find me um on other duckfeed.tv shows um and on twitter at cole ross that is k-o-l-e-r-o-s-s 
in addition to my horror video game streams and videos on YouTube and Twitch at DuckVTV, all of that good stuff. We'll be back. Uh, the next episode is going to be about the talisman. Um, and then we're going to go into, uh, I'm, I'm going to see what I'm going to do about black house. Uh, that might just be one that, uh, might need to treat that a little bit differently, but we're going to get into book seven. We're going to go through and, uh, it's going to be a good time. So, um, you know what to do as usual, stick around ratings, reviews, uh, all that good stuff. But most of all, please have some long days and some pleasant nights.